This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back for hour three on this Monday afternoon. Logan and Peter along with you. Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Been a busy show. Flown through two hours already. Yeah, that flew by. It did fly by. Good people having a good time together, Pete. Yeah, and then I'm here. And then you're here. (laughs) Uh, it's great to have primetime Peter Klein along with us this week here on Sportsnet today. Uh, Assam and Taylor in the other room are outstanding producers this afternoon. Hour two filled with Jay's talk and Stan Peters talk. Ben Shulman joined us from the Sportsnet Radio Network. Talk all things Jays. They're uh, in action tonight against the Baltimore Orioles and a Stamps report with Patrick Dumas. But a great opportunity uh, while we have Mr. Klein with us this week to uh, kick off. Uh, a discussion on one of the big events from this weekend, PK. Uh, some of you might remember over the years uh, a, a show called Combat Central yes. that existed on the Sportsnet 960 airways, bringing you the latest from wrestling, combat sports, a yep. little bit of everything. Boxing, you get into boxing at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. never got into boxing. I wish we had it now because boxing is actually blowing up. There was, was a massive yeah, was boxing event bigger, this weekend. Way bigger now. Um, so, yeah, we, we talked boxing basically like three times a year. Uh, if either Canelo or Floyd Mayweather was fighting, uh, we, we would have that one covered. And then the rest of it, we just kind of, like, ah, it's probably fine. <laughs> don't need to don't need to go into that. Uh, but yeah, no, those were the, the glory days where I could just uh, e- email any wrestling person I wanted. Like, hey, do you want to come on? And they were <laughs> just thrilled to, to have someone to, to chat with. So th- those were a lot of fun back then. Uh, well, we've got you now. And we just finished up a big uh, UFC event over the weekend. UFC 291 mm-hmm. from Salt Lake City is in the books. Uh, Justin Gaethje knocks out Dustin Poirier in the second round uh, in a lightweight belt uh, to win the BMF title. Yes. Uh, That happened. uh, It was a fun card overall on the weekend. We can even look ahead to uh, UFC 292 in a bit, the next pay-per-view event coming up for the UFC. But I guess just as a whole, PK, uh, what did you think of the card on Saturday? Uh, a lot of fun. Um, like head, apparently Salt Lake City is just where head kick knockouts happen. Apparently, that's the thing to do. Yeah, that, that's that's all you want to do is just kick people in the head when you get to, to Salt Lake City. But no, a, a really really fun card, and it, it was nice. Like obviously, you have a, a made up championship at the the top of the card, but there there wasn't a, a real title fight on this. But just a, a lot of big fights delivering in real fun ways, and then of course culminating with a, a head kick knockout in the the main event with uh, Justin Gaethje sending Dustin Poirier into the shadow realm for a few minutes with that that head kick. It was a, it was a really really fun show. Uh, we had another great moment uh, as we tend to get uh, from this man. <laughs> I don't know if he's if he's the most entertaining uh, heavyweight that I've ever seen. He might be, but I mean, yeah. Uh, D- Derek Lewis is a lot of fun. <laughs> he's he's incredibly agile. He's fast. He's 
violent. He's all of these things. He makes Joe Rogan, you know, <laughs> laugh in the ring. He's got these great post-fight interviews. Uh, but he's also a very impressive uh, fighter as of late. He picks up another win on the weekend as well in uh, dramatic and quick fashion. Yeah, he, he needed this one. Uh, but he, I... I would have taken the under on number of flying knee knockouts from Derek Lewis yep. at any point in his career because he just he doesn't look like that dude. <laughs> but he he pulls it off. Um, he, he had lost three in a row coming into this one, and there was some talk like, is this just it? Like he had a couple of title opportunities that kind of go by the wayside, and now uh, it, it's kind of fallen off. But he has he's taking things seriously now. He he came he showed up to the weigh-ins with abs. Um, he, this is not just like, oh yeah, I'm just going to show up and punch a dude in the head there's actually, it feels like a lot of work going into this one. Um, this is now 14 knockout wins, um, for, for him in his career, which in the UFC, which I, I believe is a, a UFC record. The, the last time the judges were needed in any of his fights was before the pandemic uh, in February of 2020. He, it, it's so interesting with him. Because he can have like a couple of the just absolute greatest fights. You will see wild knockouts. Both guys just slinging and banging the whole time. Um, and he also has the worst fight in UFC history where he and Francis Ngannou just stared deep into each other's eyes for 15 minutes. <laughs> so I think that kind of set him back a little bit. But no, he has so much personality, um, w whether he's talking about potentially his nether regions uh, or calling out Ronda Rousey on the microphone and stuff Strange like that. Things. He's just he, he's a weird cat, but weird and just like the best way what's next for him like what's a reasonable next fight for Derek Lewis I assume this puts him into the top 10 I would say uh you know in, in as far as you see but I mean I, I wouldn't put him anywhere near the top of a title fight we have that coming up in a little bit with John Jones but I mean is this a chance do you put him up against somebody in the top five and see if he can make a big splash I don't because that's the weird thing about Derek Lewis, and you're right about him taking it seriously, because he has the talent to mm -hmm. be there. But as of right now, until you prove to me that you can do it a couple times in a row, I don't know that I see him as a champion-level threat. No. No, I, I would agree with that. And then, like, to the champion right now, like, John Jones would do horrible things to him. Oh, he would <laughs> annihilate him. <laughs> it, the, would, it would be, it would the be uncomfortable. The striking, the agility, yeah. the, the pure athleticism would yeah. be a huge mismatch. Jones would literally be doing cartwheels around the octagon, yes. uh, around Derek Lewis. But I, I think there, there's Just a couple... Just run in circles until he <laughs> slowly ran out of pace. Yeah, I think there's a couple of interesting fights for him. Uh, I think you could make a... About Tom Aspinall just picked up a big win. He made a call out uh, of the, the champion... That's not going to happen. Uh, because we I appreciate guys that try. Let me yeah. say that about mixed martial arts and, and the MMA scene as a whole that, look, is, is part entertainer, and there are guys that were nothing until they became entertaining. Colby Covington strikes me as a guy that was um, a nothing in the UFC but then became a controversial figure and won some fights yeah. and used that to become a bigger star in, in, the, in the whole promotion. And I, I get that. Hey, shoot your shot. Uh, in 1990, if you, you called out Michael Jordan for a one-on-one -on -one, uh, in the back alleys of Chicago, you weren't getting it, but you can sure as hell ask, right? right. If you want to try your medal, go ahead. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Th there's, shoot your shot. There's a reason the UFC built a, a lot of what they did and what they are now off of immediately following Monday Night Raw. There, there is an aspect of professional wrestling to all of this where, like, get your name out there. And yeah, like, yeah. You, you get the microphone in front of a big audience after you just beat another human in a fist fight 
that's probably the time to call your shot. Um, even, you know, like shoot for the stars. If you miss, you land on the clouds or whatever that is. Um, for, for Aspinall, I think he is so still I probably... I tell myself after failed dates. <laughs> for Aspinall, uh, I, I do feel like he, he still needs another kind of big name. And I, I think he... It feels unfair to Derek Lewis, but this feels like kind of his role now where if you can beat Derek Lewis and you can do so emphatically, then you get to go into the, the title picture, you know, because now that that's a name people recognize, put him on a, a card, even put him on the John Jones card, the, the John Jones, Stipe Miocic card, put mm -hmm. him on there or some other big show. And because uh, I feel like that's kind of where Derek Lewis is right now. Have him go out, have other people kind of make their name off of him. And then if that star starts to diminish, put him in there against a dude no one's ever heard of. He'll knock their block off and we'll just continue on. That, that's kind of the Derek Lewis story right now in the heavyweight division. Uh, speaking of light heavyweights, uh, another uh, good performance comes from Jan, Bo uh, Jan Bohovic. Uh, he beats, or excuse me, he falls to uh, Alex Pereira. I wanted to get that. Sorry, just split decision on that one. Uh, that was a bit of a controversial one. In some mm -hmm. people's mind, where did you come out uh, on Alex Pereira and, and Jan Blachowicz? I thought Pereira did enough, but I'm uh, uh, honestly watching this from a, a skewed perspective because I, I picked Pereira and maybe had a, a little sprinkle. A little sprinkle, yeah. So um, I, I, to, to me, Pereira was perfect. And the fact that any judge could see it any other <laughs> way it, it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, the, the whole thing about this fight, I don't understand. I don't know why this was not for a championship. Um, the, the 205 pound title in the UFC is vacant right now, which is, has been the most common title holder of this belt over the last little while with John Jones being John Jones and all of those things. And there's been some injury issues, but Blahovich's last fight was for the light heavyweight championship and it ended in a draw. So they were just like, oh, well, screw you then. And we'll just throw it at someone else. And now this fight, the title is vacant. He's going up against Alex Pereira, who's moving up from 185 pounds, who was just in the title fight against Israel Adesanya. He beat Izzy for the championship. He's a former middleweight champion, lost it, now moves up to 205 pounds. The title's vacant. It made all the sense in the world to have this be a championship fight. And I think with a fight that was this close, I think uh, another 10 minutes to, to see who really deserved to, to come away with a victory probably would have helped this bout a little bit. It might have been able to, to help Blahovich's case a little bit as Pereira's moving up in weight. Um, so you're, you're just carrying more weight than, than you're used to. Maybe that starts to affect you in the, the next 10 minutes. So I, I felt a, a little almost cheated by the end of this, thinking that we probably could have got another 10 minutes from this bout. And I still don't have a good explanation as to why we didn't from that one. Yeah, that was one of the, the odder decisions in the entire uh, card for as far as I was concerned. Uh, this one, it, this feels a bit frustrating to me, but uh, I find in, in mixed martial arts, maybe more than any, finding that right time to leave can be tough for some, and I think you know yeah. where I'm going with that. And uh, For Tony Ferguson, I, I think it's it's reached that, it might have reached it a couple fights ago, really. Um, yes. It kind of feels like a bit like Cowboy. Uh, in that sense of you're you're kind of playing out the string here, and I don't know how much more you have to give here. Uh, Bobby Green wins by submission in a lightweight bout, but I mean this isn't the Tony Ferguson we were talking about five six years ago. That no. was a legit contender. Uh, he was I thought he was kind of lucky to be on this card as far as I was concerned, but. Uh, Bobby Green, I, I think, was the odds-on heavy favorite heading into this one, and, and we kind of saw why. Yes, yeah, and it, it's... With all due respect to Bobby Green, who is a veteran of the sport and has been around for a time or two, if you can't get past this hurdle, 
what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, like the, the, there's, there is no path back to a title. And I think for, for Ferguson specifically, that's where it gets so difficult to, to step away because he never fully got the, the undisputed lightweight championship. He and Khabib just danced around each other for forever. And it just never happened. It was going to happen. And then Ferguson trips on some TV cables uh, on a T uh, on a set for an interview, blows out his knee and this mega fight that was going to happen at 155 pounds. The fact pounds. that they never fought still is just unbelievable yeah. in my mind. It, the, the UFC doesn't have a ton of, oh man, I can't believe that didn't happen, especially in their own weight class. Like it would have been cool if GSP against Anderson Silva happened. They're 15 pounds apart. You, you can see how like one dude once fought at 205 pounds facing the 170 yeah, what, pound what champion fight that has guys in the same weight division over a three or four year period that we've talked about, unless a John Jones situation's happened. Right. But even then, what, John- what do those fights haven't happened? And even now you're right. He's coming back. He's having most of the fights that we talked about. Yeah. Him wanting to see him in the, the last four or five years. Yeah. A lot of the fights that John had to pull out of were with Daniel Cormier, who he fought anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. Like this is one of the only ones that the guys are both in the promotion. They're in the same weight class. It was there to happen. And it just never, ever, ever did it. It's actually quite rare in the UFC for that to happen. And so for Ferguson, that can be a, a bit of a, a mind, almost worth there, bit of a mind <laughs> trick for you, um, where like you were so close, you were tantalizingly close to the undisputed lightweight champion, the, the undisputed man in your division, and now that feels so far away, but you're, you're just a couple of fights away, just a couple of fights away, and that gets further and further and further away, that that has to really start to wear on you. And now you're at the point like, this was... Kind of supposed to be a make right fight for for Ferguson. If he is if he is who he thinks he is and who he thinks he still could be, he should beat Bobby Green. And instead, it, it's back to the drawing board. I, I I never like to call for anyone to to retire, and I never like to to call for people to to lose their jobs. <laughs> Been there, but it, it's um it, it's just. It really is too bad to see someone like this fall off. And it's especially tough in combat sports where it's not like, oh, man, that fastball has just lost a couple ticks. And, oh, he's not making that break to the outside anymore as a running back. You're getting punched in the brain a bunch. And it, it just it gets uncomfortable. Uh, Kevin Holland started the night off on the card with a first round submission. Um, uh, look, this is uh, this was an interesting fight. I think Kevin was was still favored coming into mm-hmm. this. Uh, he's a guy that uh, a lot of people know from more of his off, uh, I don't want to say off field, that's not really the word, but out of the cage antics than maybe some of them in, but he picks up a big win. Um, welterweight's just such a stacked card of, of fighters. I, yeah. don't, I don't know that this one, look, it's great. It's a first round submission win over a guy that I believe was ranked coming in. I that was ridiculous. That, that's fair. That's fair. You're not he wrong. Was, he, he was 12th ranked com- coming into this one, I believe. Uh, but he hadn't fought since 2021. Okay, like, yeah, that, so that was just silly that he was fair, ranked. But it's, it's still a win over ranked yeah. opponent. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting welterweights out there. I, I don't know if I, even after a win that I'm sitting here thinking, is this the start of a Kevin Holland run at welterweight? I don't, I don't know if you see it any differently. No, I, I'm the same. Like, I, I look at anyone who would be above him in the rankings right now. And I'd kind of favor all of them over Kevin Holland. Again, it, it's a nice win. Um, admittedly, again, over Kiesa, who hasn't been around for a while and who kind of does have one foot out the door. He's doing a lot of TV stuff. He's doing a lot of those podcasting things. It, it's tough to do those and be a high-level competitive mixed martial artist. So I, I don't know. Like it, it, you said, it's a nice win. 
it gets the, the ball rolling in the right direction. But I, I don't know if I saw anything from this that goes, oh, yeah, this guy could definitely beat Rachmanov or he could definitely go out there and beat uh, Gilbert Burns or anyone like that. I, I wonder if because Stephen Thompson had a, was, gonna, was supposed uh, to have a fight on this say, card. You have to put them again uh, with each other again because because <laughs> yeah. he uh, that was a weird one, too. That And all of a sudden there was the reports that he wasn't going to get his. His fight money, despite he made the weight and his opponent, uh, that anyway. He still but, hasn't been paid. He he's, he was on um, Ariel Hawani's show today. He said, "Yeah, I still haven't got my money for for any of this yet." So that's that's a little little sketchy there. Let's figure that one out, Dana. But show uh, money is supposed but yeah, to be yeah, showed up. Pretty sure uh, <laughs> Stevens' last win came against uh, against Kevin mm-hmm. Holland. So. so maybe you do that again. Um, cause I believe Steven Thompson is higher in the rankings right now. Yeah, he is. So maybe you do that one again and that that's the, the way to go. But you're right. Like welterweight is just ridiculously the top stacked of that right is now. just stupid. Yeah. Like, it's really, really even, and I like Steven Thompson a lot. I like Wonderboy a lot. Um, even if him and Holland and you're like, okay, well I'll give you guys a top five. I don't like anyone in mm. that top five for either of those guys. No. No, like, I, I would pick Gilbert, all of them. Like Gilbert Burns is a monster. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chimaev is a bit of a wild card, but when he fights, yeah. for the most part, he's... Well, he, when he makes the weight, he's he, great. Can he lose eight <laughs> pounds in time for a fight? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But uh, if he fights, he's sure a, a tough SOB. Yeah. Uh, you know, Muhammad, what are you going to do? Covington, Usman, Edwards, like, okay... I don't think you guys are at any of that level yet either. So right. it's kind of an interesting one where I feel like if you're under the top five, you're kind of fighting your way into that. Yeah. But man, if you get into it, you better be ready because all five of those guys are like championship level fighters. Yeah. If you can work your way through that gauntlet, you have absolutely earned a title shot. Um, but I, I'm wondering for some of these guys and like some of them, the, the frame, it just doesn't work. But we are kind of desperate for challengers at 185 pounds right now. Um, that is a bit of a jump to go from 170 to 185. But I wonder if you, you wanted to a couple of trips trips to, to Burger King and stuff like that and just kind of bulk it up a little bit and make a, a run at 185 because it's just, it feels like a murderer's row right now in the welterweight division. Uh, so that puts us uh, looking towards the next pay-per-view on August 19th at TD Garden in Boston. Sterling v. O'Malley, a couple championship bouts on this fight card. Uh, Sean O'Malley, number two ranked, taking on Aljamain Sterling. In a bantamweight title fight, what's your excitement level like uh, for the next pay-per-view here? I'm very intrigued. And yeah, I, I would say pretty excited for this. Um, Sean O'Malley is one of those guys who has just had star potential written all over him. The people have kind of fallen in love with him. Um, he's maybe gone a bit of a different direction uh, with his podcast a little bit. That's turned some people off. But uh, a big win over Pyotr Jan in Abu Dhabi at UFC 280 has kind of put him on the right track now. I still feel like it's maybe a fight or two too early for this for uh, for O'Malley. Like the win over Jan is great, but after that, it's not a who's who uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And Sterling is coming off of one of the, the better performances that he's had in his career with a win over Henry Cejudo, and he is starting to to make a name for himself after the the controversy around winning the title by way of illegal knee. Um, to to come back from that beat By the way, again. That knee lives infamously in my nightmares. Man, like drilled of, him of things that I would not want to happen. I might take getting hit by a car ahead <laughs> of that knee that Piotr Jan gave to him in that, and it was just in that empty arena in Las Vegas, and you just heard this thud of knee to skull, and Sterling was just in space. He's in whatever he was in whatever world that Elon Musk lives in 
yeah. on a day to day basis. That's where he was, and I was I see it every time, and I look away because it is so brutal. And then the the brutalness of mixed martial arts fans. There were fans who were upset with him. Oh, he just took the coward's way out of winning that title. So, okay, you go get na- need in the mind and then come back and see how you're going to do. Like, that That was... Uh, and it's... Like you said, it was the, the empty arena times where they're still fighting fights at the UFC Apex, which is ridiculous. But you, you're in the Apex. There's no crowd there. You can hear your corner clearly. And one of the members of his corner is like, yeah, Neam, you super can't do that, though. <laughs> that's, um, so that's, like, That's way illegal. Yeah, and a good and, way to kill someone. And this isn't pro wrestling where the title can't change hands on a disqualification. No, you lose based off of that. And so for him to come from that, though, then get a victory over Yon, beat TJ Dillashaw, and now Henry Cejudo, Sterling is starting to put his mark on, on this title reign and, and on this division. I Like I said, I think it was a, a touch too soon for O'Malley, so I, I favor Sterling in this fight, but I'm, I'm interested at the, the weird kind of puzzle that Sterling is going to have to figure out because O'Malley is a different cat for sure. And some interesting names on that card as well. We got Chris Weidman's on the card, Cody Garbrandt. What is he in in this whole conversation? I'm looking forward to Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz uh, at the bantamweight uh, level as well because I think those are two potential up and comers in the division mm-hmm. that, uh, with a good performance, could be in the conversation in a fight or two. Um, but yeah, UFC 292, the next uh, paperweight or uh, paper paperweight paper <laughs> paper view that we'll see come up uh, for the UFC. Uh, highlighted by Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley. Yeah, uh, just quickly on the, yeah, for sure. the the Weidman front. This is his first fight since um, that that brutal leg injury back in 2021, where he broke his That's leg right. against um, against Uriah Hall in similar fashion to the way that Weidman won his championship uh, against Anderson Silva, where Silva's leg wrapped around Weidman's leg, but in a, a gross way. Um, so this is the first fight like in a couple a of years. Noodle. So yeah, it, that's one that'll give you nightmares too. So th- this is. I, I have no idea what to expect. I just hope that Wyman can go in there, look like a professional fighter uh, against a, a very game Brad Tavares, and just hope he comes out of it all right. Uh, that was uh, as close as we'll come to a reunion of uh, Combat Central here <laughs> on uh, Sportsnet 960. I did my best to uh, to give you a G-Rana impression. I just didn't swear and uh, I brought a slightly more rosy attitude to the program than G would have. Uh, but he's Peter Klein. I'm Logan Gordon. We're here for Sportsnet today. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side, finish off the hour before we jump into Jay's pregame, uh, take a look at the starting lineup, some interesting choices from John Schneider, uh, started ahead of the series starting against the Baltimore Orioles, uh, and some NFL news as training camp continues for all 32 teams. What are the Colts going to do with Jonathan Taylor? After this weird scenario with owner Jim Ursay, we'll talk about that next when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. PK, I'm not sure if the running back situation in the NFL could get any more complicated than it already is, but the Colts and Jonathan Taylor are certainly trying. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, this is so weird. This is a weekend of drama. If you if you aren't up to date on what's happening, NFL running backs have made it very public and their feelings that they are an underpaid group in the NFL and would like to see more tangible money when it comes to their contract extensions and uh, bonuses, all that. Austin Echo of the Chargers has kind of led that. Uh, vocal course, they've had meetings, Saquon Barkley's talked about it, but then kind of took a, 
a very comparable deal to the one that he was getting before. Yeah. And it's just been a long saga of essentially running backs feel like they're being underpaid. They want to be valued more. And how we get to that, I have absolutely no idea. But one of those running backs that's due for a new contract and will be a free agent next spring, PK, is Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Very good running back. Yes, quite very, talented. Very good running back. Yeah. Um, as a lot of running backs have done over the last year or so, they've started to engage in contract extension talks with their respective teams. Jonathan Taylor is not new to that. Mm-hmm. He has uh, done so with the Indianapolis Colts, but apparently after a meeting this weekend with owner Jim Ursay, it became clear to Jonathan Taylor and his camp that a deal was not going to get broached, and I guess the way Ursay went about his business did not sit well with the Colts star running back to the point that he requested a trade from the team, and Jim Ursay was having absolutely none of that. Um, has some strange quotes about <laughs> his future in the NFL and if Jonathan Taylor wasn't in the league going forward. And it was just very weird. And on Sunday, it got even weirder that reports came out from ESPN's uh, Colts insider Stephen Holder that apparently Jonathan Taylor came into training camp and said, look, I got a back issue. It's kind of been bugging me. And it was reportedly due to an off-season activity. Something non-football related, and that piqued the interest of the Colts because he's someone who wanted a trade request. Maybe they were going to hold back some money because he was hurt uh, in a non-football activity, blah, blah, blah. And then Jonathan Taylor comes out and says, Look, I've never had back pain. I never reported any back pain. So whoever yeah. your sources are, you got to find new ones. But this has just gone from strange to weird to frustrating and I don't and now the Colts uh, Jim Mercy says we're not trading Jonathan Taylor end of story we hope he's a productive member of the team this year how do you see this whole situation with the Colts and Taylor and maybe just running backs in general right now yeah it is weird because running backs are still and can still be a valuable part of an offense but to what extent right like and the argument well we're all going to get hurt so you need to pay us before we get hurt I don't think is as impactful as you want it to be. It's like, yeah, that's why we don't pay you. That's basically the entire point of what we're doing here. And there's 300 of you. We can like, it it sucks because when you have a good running back, like as a a Raider fan, Josh Jacobs was a very key part. And in the pre Devonte Adams era of the Raiders, probably the best part of the Raiders offense. But you know what? The Raiders didn't do a whole lot during that time win. And it's not Josh Jacobs's fault, but when you go back over the, the last however many Super Bowl champions, they're not there because of the running back, right? And again, like I, Saquon Barkley is the best offensive player on the, the New York Giants. I don't think the New York Giants offense is all that good, though. And like you can just go on down. Like Austin Eckler is great, but he's like the fourth or fifth most important player on the LA Chargers. And if he goes down, there'll be a dude that you may or may not have heard of who will step in and do just fine. Well, and here's that list that, that's come up since this has, has come up. So obviously last year... Um, we're talking about a Chiefs Super Bowl win. They used a number of different running backs. So you want to call it, say Pacheco is your is your default. I believe he was the starter on mm-hmm. the depth chart. Uh, the Rams, when they won the, the Super Bowl in 2021, Cam Akers, base salary of $1.1 million. Yeah. Leonard Fournette with the Bucks, $2 million. Chiefs in 2019, it was Damian Williams, $1,050,000. 
Sony Michelle, $480,000 with the Patriots in 18. LeGarrette Blunt in back to back years, Patriots and Eagles, less than a million dollars in both of those. You then go down the list. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt comes up again, by the way, with the Patriots in 2014. But uh, I'll mention CJ Anderson. Uh, I'll mention Ray Rice at $2 million. I'll mention Ahmad, Broad, Ahmad Bradshaw at $1.5 million. There is not a running back since 2009 that's won a Super Bowl over $2.5 million yeah. on their base salary. Yeah. So, what, what is the argument from any running back right now about about payment? Yeah. It's just like it, it is really tough. And I do, like, I, I feel for them that that has to be so frustrating, but we weren't getting very upset when the fullback was just phased out. It was just kind of, oh, that sucks. And we moved on with things. So it's it's just the way of the NFL. This is a passing league now. And like if you're going to be a running back, just line up wide. Just like young running backs in high school, figure out how you can be a wide receiver or put on like 50 pounds to be a linebacker. Because that's like, this is... That this is not how you're going to, to be making your millions of dollars in the in the NFL right now. Can you even survive a full season with one running back? No, 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 no. No, I don't think so. No, you need you need multiple running backs to do multiple different things, right? You need yeah. a third down running back who can go out and pass catches. You need one who or pass catches, sorry, catch passes. Uh, look, if they can if pass they can catches, pass catches too, then that works too. <laughs> that would be good too. Yeah, um, Darren McFadden was really good for trick plays like that with the Raiders, but. You need one who is good in pass coverage. So no, you need you need two or three just anyway, and that's before they run into a bunch of guys who are a hundred to two hundred pounds bigger than them. It's it's just it's not a position that that really screams longevity. So well, while all of these players are great and we love them in fantasy, and I think that's where this conversation gets really weird and really interesting because in the NFL, not very important in fantasy football. Super important, right? Like for for years and years and years and years and years, the strategy has been draft running back in the first round, draft running back in the second round, and if you're feeling froggy, draft running back in the third round just so you can have those guys there. The running back p- position has been valued so highly in fantasy football in part because of the scarcity of guys like we talked about who don't play um, every single down for, for guys who don't have their share of the backfield. And now... You, you have this thing that is like one of the big reasons why, and honestly, probably the biggest reason why the NFL is the absolute gigantic juggernaut that it is today. And the value in this one thing so very much outweighs its value in the, the real life game that that is played. And I think that's probably the reason why we're seeing all these things because you, you have uh, for me an Aaron Jones on, on a fantasy team. It's like, yeah, man, Aaron Jones is my guy. I, I want to see him do well. And then he gets phased out of the league in three years. And th- this new guy comes in. It's like, Hey, wait, what's going on here? Like I, I had this attachment to this guy. What, well, why is this happening? But that's how winning football is done. So it's, it's one of the first ones where I think the fantasy world and the, the real world for lack of a better term have kind of been butting heads on and it makes for an interesting discussion. Yeah, and look for running backs. I think it's it's so hard too because look at the guys that hit a thousand yards rushing last year, PK, and how many of them would surprise you on this list? Tony Pollard probably surprising because he was expected to be a a backfield split, right? Najee Harris, a rookie. Oh, okay, maybe a good solid bet. Uh, Tyler Allegier. Yeah, I. Don't know if I could pick him out of a line. Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, I mean he he's 
He's been good with the Patriots, so I, I think I probably would have got that one, but we're, that's the first one. Jamal Williams? Nope. Nope. Don't think of, Back up with the, the Lions, who just happened to get in, because surprise, surprise, another running back got hurt. Yeah, so and the point I'm trying to make with all of that, and then look, there's guys who are right on the precipice. Damon Pierce, Austin Eckler, Kamara was you know right on on there. I think Zeke was just under, and I think even Jonathan Taylor last year yeah. um, was at like 861 or something like that, so close enough. I, I just... First of all, my original point is that you can never get through with one running back. It's just it's never going to happen. And when you have running backs that that you have to turn to as often as the top guys that you do, it's usually because you're not solid at the quarterback position. Yeah. Right? The top right. two rushers the last couple of years have been Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry. With all due respect to Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill, not the top passers in the league. No. And not the two that you would pick to go out and win a Super Bowl with. Nope. Right? And, yeah. and while it's great to have that, that running back and to have that, that guy back there, I don't know. I think 32 out of 32 GMs would take the better quarterback than the better running back yeah. to, to build a team with. Well, you look at like recent high picks uh, of running backs, like Saquon Barkley. Incredibly talented, like just an absolutely dynamic, game-changing type of a running back. Giants have only got a sniff of the playoffs last year, and that's because they had a cupcake schedule. Ezekiel Elliott, this physical freak, his abs rip jerseys in half. Like he, he is just this absolute physical specimen, dynamic, skilled, powerful running back. Cowboys haven't had a whole lot of success in in his time. Like they they've won divisions, but they they have not gone far in the playoffs. And I would say a lot of the the playoff success that they would have had based on strong defense, strong quarterback, and a lot of the success Zeke Elliott would have had also based on for a couple of years that they had the best offensive line in the league. And you're right. Like it's just you you would much rather have the passing game figured out. And if you have a good running game, oh okay, that's great. But we are at the point now, look at all the, the top quarterbacks in the league. Like This is not uh, a time where it's Peyton Manning and, um, and Tom Brady and the, these giant statues back in the pocket. You, you have young, mobile quarterbacks who are out there. They can run it. Buffalo's best running option for the past three years has been Josh Allen. Like that, when their running game is at its best, it's that dude who's the size of the linebackers running in the right direction. Um, Baltimore's run game is basically their quarterback. Patrick Mahomes probably runs more than Kansas City would like. Um, you have like when you need a run late in the game, it's going to be these guys sometimes who who are going to be doing that. So I, it, it's unfortunate because again, love running backs, but it, it's just a position that's getting phased out. It's one of those things where I think. Given and your, your point about the athletic quarterback is is one that's taken. I think that's taken yardage from running backs, and I think in turn, running back value needs to take re- more receiving yards from receivers. Yeah, I think that's how they find. Uh, do I think that they'll ever find what they consider fair value at this point? No, I really don't. Until something changes. Until I said this last week there in Vickers. Until somebody comes by, you absolutely without a doubt, cannot say no to. Somebody that, that rushes for 1,000 yards and catches another 1,000 yards uh, kind of receiver on a contract year. Mm-hmm. And maybe, look, maybe it's Bijan Robinson. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's the guy. Until that happens and is able to reset the market a bit, it's just not going to happen because you can live without... Is it as easy without a, an Austin Eckler 
Or is it as easy without a Miles Sanders? No, you'd always like to have the best possible player in the position. How many running backs come out of college football? Yeah. Every single year. And how many guys that we thought were second string running backs that finally get an opportunity turn into running back ones? All the time it happens. It's going to happen again this year in three or four different places. You have to have value elsewhere. And if the quarterbacks are going to take up some of that rushing yards and some of that rushing threat away from you, you have to be a two-way threat. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh-round pick, right? Um, like, that, that, that's, that's where we're at. He was out of Rutgers, which, all due respect, not exactly Alabama. Fair. You know? No, um, fair. So it, it, he's just like, he, again, better running back than I am, but he's a random dude out of a random school who, who has come in. Like, that. there's just there's so many of those guys. And I, I do think we're going to get to a point um, with a number of teams following the trend that San Francisco put out. And maybe not necessarily with their top wide receiver, with Debo Samuel going into the backfield, but I wonder if we get more wide receivers who are just like, you're our running back now. You're, you're fifth on this depth chart here at wide receiver. You go back in the backfield, we'll practice with you taking the handoffs, but mainly you're going to be another passing threat that we can do a few more things in the route tree with out of the backfield as compared to, uh, compared to just lined up in the slot. I, I think that's where we're going instead of getting all these guys. It's just, ah, yeah, our sixth receiver. You come back in here and, and hang out for a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you, especially when you see... It seems like every other position in the NFL resets the market. Yeah. Every single time that a new contract is signed, I get it. But that's just not the, it's just you, not the position. You, that's not how the position works. No. It, it's just not. And uh, and look, if you want to you wanna make a stand and make as much as you, as you can, you want to be like, sure. Austin Eckler, you're 29. Yeah. In a position it, it's where, not like, a surprise to anybody that you're 29. Right. Everyone knows now that you're 29. That you you asked to be traded this offseason, and they looked around, and there, there was no fair value because there wouldn't be. Why would anybody give up anything of value for a 29-year-old running back? Yes, you're, you're a good player, but they probably already have good players at that spot. Yeah. At less money than you're making or want to make. Yeah. You're, the only hope that this would have changed is with Buffalo, right? Because like you, you look at the teams that are competitive for a championship right now. Um the, the the Cincinnati Bengal. Like, Kansas City won the whole thing. They're probably not looking to upgrade. Um, but you look in the AFC, the, the Bengals, they have the running back spot kind of okay with, with Joe Mixon. And if he's not around, Samadji P. Ryan did fine. You know? And that that's the issue, is that just random dude again comes well, in and does okay. Is Joe Mixon not the perfect guy, though? A guy that can hit a 1,000 yards, can take some passes out of the backfield, but isn't a superstar. Right. And isn't going to want to get paid because he hit 1,300 yards one year. Yeah. To me, that's like, what's, and you're right, what starting, the Eagles, you know, were okay, they brought in DeAndre Swift, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, are they stacked at the running back position? Yeah, like they had Miles Sanders, who everyone thinks is pretty good, and they were fine with him just walking out the door. The Vikings want to compete, and they let Dalvin Cook go. Yeah. So the, the only team that can reset this is Buffalo because like running back is the only like they have fully punted on running back for the last little bit. Running back is the only thing where you look on this team. It's like, ah, that could probably be really better. Um, so if they were to go out and just get like if they went out and did get Dalvin Cook um, and and brought him in to really amplify this offense. And he was the one who was the difference maker. But then again, like we're counting on like three different things happening. A, Buffalo wanting to address that. B, them addressing it with a high-level talent. And C, it working. And like all of those things need to happen before you even consider 
uh, a team that is looking to to spend real money on the, the running back position. So no, it, it's it is a tough spot for the running backs. I do. I, I feel bad for them because I, I like running the ball is fun and it, it's supposed to be what you win games with, right? Like you, you the, when when the weather gets cold and the the, <laughs> the the autumn wind and all of those things and it's smash mouth football that wins games or it's not because I, I would not consider the Kansas City Chiefs to be a smash mouth football team and they have seemed to do just fine over the last little while. Um, and that, that list on down the line of random scrap heap running back X coming in and, and helping teams win a championship. It's, it's just, that's the way the successful teams have done it. And until, until the Tennessee Titans break through with Derrick Henry and win a Super Bowl, or until Buffalo decides to upgrade or, or one of these teams decides to, to go with a run first thing and it actually works, you're not going to have it. You're like, what's, like, what's it really going to take? Honestly, it's going to take a, a running back. I think honestly, it would take a running back on a team. You'd have to take him to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you'd have to be like a twenty-five to thirty carry guy with a backup quarterback. Like that's as silly as that sounds in my head. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm honestly, I'm like, what? What kind of running back could possibly? Reset the market. Damian Pierce would have had to lead the Texans to the Super Bowl last year. Exa- well, right? and, then, exa- <laughs> and then all of a sudden the conversation becomes, okay, well, you're too used up. Yeah. Your body's not going to last if we keep doing that for you. Well, and that's another right? part of the conversation is you'll have a guy in his last year. It's like, yeah, we'll give him the ball 40 times because we're not taking him again next year. So if he breaks down, whatever. we got Tony Pollard coming in anyway. Tony Pollard, who again, fourth round pick, made it on your list of 1,000-yard runners, made $965,000 last year. That's just, that's what we're talking about. There, there are always going to be guys coming out. It, it is the one position where like in college, eight of them play and they're all pretty good. And then they're all looking for starting jobs. And even with um, an influx of spring leagues with the XFL and the USFL, you can still find these guys. And some of them are going to like, there's in any group, you are always going to get some who are better than others, but it's just not worth paying for it. When you could save, instead of paying $10 million to your running back, pay one and spread that other nine around to your offensive line to help with your run game anyway. Yeah. And even then it's to me, it's as the, you know, someone text point, it's, it's a passing league. Yeah. I, I think offensive coordinators would rather throw the ball 50 times and 10 of those go to the running back in some sort of play like that rather than run the ball 30 times. Yeah. Uh, it's just how it is right now. Yeah. How many times have you heard? Oh, well that, the run games, like their the the pass game, is basically their run game, where it's just like a little screen to the receiver over on the one side, or it's just a little Brandon Ayuk on a drag route, and well, hey, there's our six yards, and it's second and four. And we just went through the list of of teams that we you know contending teams that we're talking about that maybe don't have a a superstar running back. Name the contending team that doesn't have a star receiver or two. Right. You yeah. you better have at least two good options. Yeah, I mean the, maybe the, more. The one exception is the defending champions, the the Kansas City Chiefs, but they have the, the greatest quarterback end. on earth. Well, and the tight end <laughs> that works as yes. a receiver. Yeah, and and the tight end, the so pass catcher wise. No, you're right. Like, and that's been a thing with Buffalo too. Is well, they have Stephon Diggs, but no one else. But no, you're right. Like it, it is. It, you you need to have the quarterback figured out, and you need to have. High, that's why like, DeAndre Hopkins is still making double digit millions of dollars because he did it a couple of times. Oh yeah. Those guys you'll you'll find jobs for the took Dalvin Cook on like what a PTO with the Jets or whatever yeah. to finally get a thing. And even then he's a committee running back. Yeah. With Brees Hall and a couple of other guys. Well and that there you go again. Brees Hall 
exciting young running back, but he got hurt last year, and you're not sure if he's going to be all the way back next year, and now you're two years in to the like five useful years you get out of him, so let's just bring in someone to supplement it. It's a, it is not a situation I would like to be in if I was a running back. Yeah. And I can't blame a guy like Saquon who just said, look, I'm just going to take, take what, what I can, I can get. get. And yeah. it's double digits. And is it my base salary? Is that great? No, but I got some good bonuses. I'm going to try to get paid while I can, and I'll worry about the rest of it. It's not, it's not on every running back to reset the market, right? I know yeah. that they want to have this group effort and do and I get it, but it's not on everybody. Some guys, it's just going to be about getting mine while they can, and, and I, I won't blame guys for that either. Yeah. And I wonder if... Like if you are an XFL or you are a, a USFL, I don't think it would work quite as much in the CFL. Just the the size of the field lends itself to being able to pass the ball more. Yes, uh, despite what we've seen with some teams this year. But I think if you're an XFL or a USFL, it's like, hey, well, well I, I don't know how you adjust the game to make it more pass friendly, but w- quarterback play can be a bit of an issue at the best of times, even in the NFL, that there aren't 30 or 40 great quarterbacks that are out there, but there's a bunch of running backs. If you're one of these leagues, maybe you ante up for a couple of them. Like, hey, look, we got Saquon Barkley playing on the Delaware Dragons <laughs> this week on CBS Sports Network. You know, like this is this is the the market inefficiency that I think some of these other leagues can can kind of take advantage of and bring in a few more people with a bit more star power to try to build a league around that way. That That's the only way I can see it is if these other leagues start to value those positions more. Uh, this is the Sports Drive, and it's brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. We're about to send you to Jays pregame. Jays kick off a series against the Baltimore Orioles tonight from Toronto. Jordan Hicks has joined the Jays and is ready to go if called upon in tonight's game. Here is the starting lineup for John Schneider's Blue Jays. This is an interesting change they made over the weekend, PK, and one I like quite a bit. Whit Merrifield is leading off tonight from the second base spot. Uh, George Springer sits out tonight's game. Bo Bichette batting second, playing shortstop. Brandon Belt, your DH, uh, batting third, followed by Vladdy and Chapman on your corners. Dalton Varshow's in left. Alejandro Kirk is catching. Kevin Biggio takes the spot in the outfield. He'll play in right. Kevin Kiermeyer is in center. Chris Bassett gets the start for the Jays. Uh, putting Merrifield in that leadoff spot, I think, is one way, especially if they don't get a, a big impact bat. Mm-hmm. Maybe if Springer can come back on and, and be batting in that fifth or sixth slot, that can really help the Jays out. Because I think Whit Merrifield can lead off for this team. Yes, absolutely he can, especially now while he's hot, right? Like get get that first guy on, guy on base and, and set the table for Bichette. Belt specifically against righties and and Vlad Guerrero Jr. or, or whatever you have. And honestly, at, at this point, I don't even mind having a, a bit of a platoon while Springer gets his things figured out. You have the guys who can do it. Put Biggio in right like they, they are doing tonight and, and let Springer figure things out against lefties first and build that confidence up that way. I, I don't mind them doing this at all. 507 first pitch. You can listen to it right here on Sportsnet 960. Or watch it across the Sportsnet Television Network. PK, it was great to have you back. I'm looking forward to doing this again tomorrow, pal. Yeah, this was fun. Hopefully we're talking about a a Blue Jays win this time tomorrow. We will find out about that. Thank you to our outstanding producers today, Cam, Azam, and Taylor, for all of their hard work. Really appreciate it. Thank you to Reed Wilkins and Ben Shulman for stopping by on the program today. You can get the podcast wherever you get your favorite pods. Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher. This has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. For Peter Klein, I'm Logan Gordon. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.